0: Front that will be created. Oh my god! This is sports reporter Brad Van Boxmeer, filling in for Bob Von Hayes. Deceased. Yes, it's Halloween, and what would this holiday be without a little fisticuffs? So, as a very special sports report treat or trick, we're bringing you a one on one WZTV exclusive with Niagara Falls boxing legend. Tony Pet, where I get to the bottom of the mysterious phenomenon Tony was involved with in the 1970s, Graveyard Boxing. Was Graveyard Boxing a real thing, or was it just an urban legend? We find out in today's episode of Sports, Sports Dominion. Dominion. You're watching Channel 9WZ TV News Buffalo Special Feature. I caught up with Tony at the Casa de Monte Cristo, a restaurant he opened after retiring from his cop job. But before his time on the force, Tony Pep was known as Tony Pepperoni Pep, champion prize fighter. Hello, Mr. Pep. I'd like to ask about how you got into
1: boxing. Well, I was working nights at Focasio's Lanes. That was a bowling alley up on Ontario Ave. Ontario Ave used to be a major street. It was right off the Whirlpool Bridge. So you had all these Canucks that would come in and spend the money. But then the city started putting up all these goddamn budget apartments, right? Which got filled up with nothing but prostitutes and draft dodgers. And everything closed down. Everything went to shit. But before all that, the Casio's Lanes was a good family joint. I worked the counter. We served all kinds of food in there. Christ, that menu was like a beautiful, it was majestic, like a food cornucopia. So one night, some guys come in and they was all wearing suits. Seemed like they might have been gangsters, but I don't mean like the bubblegum gangsters like you see in the musicals. I mean, they were real honest to goodness stuff guys. I can rip your face off, feed it to your balls—kind of deep evil. So one of them come up to me, and he said, "I won't lie to you, kid. I got a real hard on. I have a hard on for something like a tube-shaped, you know, something in a tube shape, maybe with some cheese and some meat sprinkled in it. You think you can make that for me? Now remember, this was, this was a time before subs, before sub sandwiches. So food in a tube form." Sounded like something from another planet to me, but i give it all I got. <laughs> Excuse me. i give it all I got. i will come up with something just like what he described, you know? And honest to God, I think I made the world's first hoagie that night. I do. And he watched me the whole time. And then he took a bite of it, took it into the bathroom with him. He come out, and he didn't have it no more. But I didn't say nothing. I let it go. So we come back to the counter and he said, Hey kid, I watched you make that sandwich. And I got to say, I mean, it was good and all that shit, but I was watching your hands. You got good hands, fast hands. Never think about taking up boxing. Christ, I didn't even know how to spell boxing at that point. And I thought it was, you know, like, be okay, ask you But the next thing I know, I got me a manager. Clarence shop. Look him up. He had no fingers. Zero. Clarence started me out in the juniors, and I progressed very quickly. My first big bout was 1971, and that was against Kurt Vogel. He was a little guy, but he was like a barrel. That's why they called him Kurt the Barrel Vogel. And he beat me up pretty good. Knocked me out in the seventh round. He knocked me straight out of the ring. I landed in a rolling car full of salads. And he jumped out of the ring and he just kept on beating me. And he beat me and he kept beating me. I ended up in the hospital. For about two weeks, all I could do was piss up in the air. I'd piss straight up in the air and I'd fall back asleep. Nobody could figure it out. But I was all right. Clarence visited me in the hospital. Told me everybody takes their lumps, he said. He tried some kind of parable on me about a talking fox and a lump of coal or something. I didn't understand it, and he knew it. So we spent the rest of the evening just watching something fuzzy on TV, the Muppet shows. Then I went and did some uh, fights in some hotel rooms. You know, they'd rent a hotel room for a weekend and they'd bring up a box and bring up the back stairs, you know, piece by piece. I did that for a while. Then Clarence started getting me these fights in science museums. I learned a lot about the dinosaurs and birds. After that, I went professional. My French pro fight was against Keith Ballard. I knocked him out in the first round. He tried bending down to pick up a pencil that had fallen out from behind his ear. I just went to work on the back of his head and his neck lights out. But I guess the fights that everyone remembers me for is for them three fights for the portlyweight championship title with the garden anglers. But, but them fights was broadcast all over Niagara Falls. There was main card at the uh, convention center. Now, Gern was tough. He was also a serial killer too. So we knew we were up against some formidable, formidable component. Formidable component. I had me a new manager by then, Gino Rice. Gino was about four feet tall, but he could lick anybody. He'd say it was all about geometry. If you know your angles, boys, you'll never lose, he'd say. He'd teach me about the angles, about the isosceles, about the acute, about tabulous patience, all that shit. So against Nagler's, we applied geometry, and I won two out of three bouts. I lost the middle fight on the account of Gino wrapping my wrapping my chain around my hand before he taped me up. By the second round... Gordon's face was just a sheet of blood and cool. gore. In the third round, I hit him with an uppercut in the forehead. And his brains, a little, some of his brains blew out of the back of his head. Got all over the reporters in the front row. They, I, I thought I was going to be declared me the champion. But the ref come over and he felt the chain in my glove. They was going to arrest me for murder. But then Gern got up and he came back in the ring and we kept on fighting. But I still did get a big fine. Plus they took my coat away from me. They took my coat. They took it away in a newspaper box. I know that doesn't sound like much now, but back then, that was a big, huge insult. You know, that was a huge insult. Gar neglers he lived to be over 100. He opened up a couple taverns, had his problems with the, the murdering. I went on to have a decent career, I guess, Got a nice casual dining establishment now, although the customers that come in here, they're just dirty, dirty people, land whores. Uh, but
0: what about the graveyard fights? Could could you tell us more about those bouts, which have been shrouded in secrecy?
1: The graveyard fights. Hmm. Well, those was not really uh, what you'd call real fights. More like a prank, you know, practical prank, like a razzle dazzle. See, we'd promote these fights and matches in the graveyard. And then when people came to see them, they would pay at the front gate, right? And then when they came into the graveyard to see the fight, we would just say, hey, get the hell out of here. And then they'd run off and we we got the money. They'd go running, screaming.
0: Interesting prank. Uh, Well, I uh, guess I'll end the interview now. Don't know what else to say guess I should just go home. To what, though? To nothing. <sighs> to darkness. I'm just a nobody. I would just end it all, put a stop to this life. But I already have, many years ago, in the bathroom at Focasio's Lane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not over the spooks and goblins are. <laughs> <laughs>